chapter so that we're not coming to it after I've given some witty introduction uh, and made you laugh and, and taken your mind off of what's most important. So we're putting that at the front, but today we're going to do it just a little different because rather than have a reader to encourage um, memorization, I know some of you are talking about memorizing the book of Ephesians. I wanted to come to you. It's our last week in our verses 3 through 14, and I'm going to recite to you and just show you what it might look like as you begin to just think and dwell on these words in such a way that they, um, they reside in your mind and in your heart. And so um, I, I've, I've been reading this for weeks, but began intentionally. I decided to do this like two days ago. So um, be gracious. But I'm, I'm telling you, as, as I have worked on these words and worked and thought on them daily, uh, God it has been good. And so I hope that it blesses you. And encourages you in, in your memorization uh, and work in the scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessing. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him. Give me a word. Even. Even. As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Give me a word. To the... Hey, are you guys reading the log? <laughs> According to, let me, let, me, let me go back just a second. He predestined us for adoption through sons in Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. <laughs> to the praise, let's stop and think about that. To the praise of his glorious grace. Now I know the next words with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He's blessed us in the beloved with his glorious grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, in him. Is that right? No. As a plan, sorry, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined by the will of him who, who, who works all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, this is where it gets personal, in him you 
also. In Him, you also. In Him, you also. You also. You also. You also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Whose inheritance? Our inheritance to the praise of His glory. Is He worthy of your praise? Come on, do your clappers work? Come on, let's do this. Praise God. Praise God. These promises are yours. When He says these words, He's referring to us who are in Christ. Now, for the first couple of weeks, as we looked at this passage, we stepped back from it. We looked at it kind of from a 30,000-foot view and looked at the entirety of it. It's important we did that. It's really important we did that because the reality is sometimes we get into these passages and we, we get so intent on individual words and individual thoughts that we miss the forest for the trees. We get, we get so intent on looking at the trees and enjoying the beauty of an individual tree that we miss the forest that it resides in. And so week one, we stepped back and we looked at God's overarching purpose in all of creation in which Paul lets us see as he proclaims worship, he lets us see that God's intention is to restore right worship. He is aligning all things in things in heaven and things on earth. He is uniting them all under him so that all things exist in a right relationship with him where he is worshiped honored and adored and we are obedient and submissive to his will that was what we saw you see the reality the thought the premise that i want you to go into this with today is as we look at these trees i don't want you to forget that god's glory is god's primary goal god's glory is god's primary goal He's not narcissistic. He's not like us. It's not like he puts a tweet out and he's got to check and see how many times it's retweeted or he's got a Facebook post and wants to know how many people have liked it. He's not, he's not all about himself simply because he's all about himself, but he demands worship because he knows he's the only one worthy to be worshipped. Right? God only deserves our worship. And he knows it. But it's not just that he is the only one worthy to be worshipped. He recognizes that it is in our best interest it's in our best interest to worship him. And so as we go into this today, recognize that God's primary goal is God's glory, is his own glory. But that's his goal for your best interest. Because as we talk about the individual blessings, those blessings that, that you're going to be told about and reminded of today and you know, we're going to look at today, those blessings reside in his glory. Outside of it, there's no blessing. Then the last week, we looked at God's overarching mission in the world. He, his objective is to restore worship. His mission to achieve that objective is presented to us by the gospel. It's a mission for all time to uh, elect, to redeem, and to eventually restore. To God, it, it, he's not doing this based on any other perspective or any other need or reason other than his own will. You heard me as I recited. You've, you've read it in the scriptures. We've studied it as we've gone along. God works according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't bless you because you deserve it. 
In fact, if you deserved it, we'd have to take grace out of this, the, the, the overwhelming perspective and presence of grace in this passage. We have to remove it. But because we don't deserve it, it's God's unmerited, undeserved, unnecessary goodness that he's acted out for you. But you aren't the primary reason. You're just the great beneficiary. And God does this not because we deserve it, but because he's decided to do it. This is his will. And we are blessed by it. As we, as we look at those today, we will see we are blessed by it. God's mission, his gracious rebellion. Let, let me just say it. God's gracious rebellion reveals God's great glory and bathes us with blessing in Christ. As we bring the overarching perspectives, the two two distant perspectives, the two themes that run from, from start to finish in this passage, as, as we bring them in together and begin to look at the individual pieces, we recognize this, that God's glory, God's mission will bathe us in blessing. He bathes us in blessing. In fact, I, I think that together these three things are really the entire reason that Paul wrote this passage as he, was, as he was caught up in worship, as he considered God's work, as he considered the mission and the message that he had been given, and he considered God's worthiness of worship, as he considered these things and what God had done to demonstrate it, he's caught up in worship. And he begins to realize how blessed he is. And he's caught up. And he's excited, and he, is, he's, he's, he becomes passionate and moved. See, Paul didn't write these words. I don't think that Paul wrote these words so that years later, generations later, that we could use them to prove our perspectives on Calvinistic views of election or the, the Southern Baptist perspective of once saved, always saved. Now, I will tell you, I think you can see them there, and, and, and we're going to kind of deal with that at some level today, but that is not Paul's purpose. Paul wants us to see that as God is worshipped, and as all things are restored in right, in right alignment with him, in right relationship with him, in, in the right perspective with him, that God is, is working this message and it will result in our blessing. But let's just deal with that. Do you always feel blessed? I, I'll just be honest. There are days, seasons, that I don't feel blessed. Do you ever feel like life is just more than you can handle? That, that it's just more than you can take? I know for a fact that sitting in this room are people, and not just one or two, but people. This has been a heavy season. It seems like the beginning of a heavy season for some of the people in our church as they have struggled or, or suffered or dealt with some issue or, or trouble in life. For some of you, this, this happened within the last week or the last couple of weeks. For some of you, it has, has been going on for some time as you've struggled. Maybe, maybe with financial trouble. Maybe, maybe it's not financial trouble, but it's emotional struggle. You're just, you're just dealing with constant negative emotion. Maybe, maybe it's not... Maybe it's not constant negative emotion. Maybe, maybe it's spiritual warfare. Maybe, maybe there's something like that that you've been dealing with. I know. I know the stories of the people in this room, and I know that there's people sitting here like that today. And it is so easy, so easy 
to begin to think that I've lost out on the blessings of God. But hear Paul's word. Be reminded of it today. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. I want to break those three words down. I want to, I want to give you some perspective. It's easy just to pass by these things and, and move away from them. Every as I think about every, I think that in Christ, God holds no blessing from us. There are things he holds back from us. Judgment, condemnation, wrath. But there is no good thing he has for us that he keeps from us. In Christ, God holds no blessing from us. In Christ, God's blessings are abundant. You see, the reality is that the word that, that we translate as every doesn't just give significance to the number of blessings, but the breadth of the blessings. There is no time. There is no circumstance. There is no situation. There is no moment in your life when you are in Christ. There is no moment that you exist outside of of God's blessings. If you're a believer here today, if, if that's you in Christ, oh, your, your soul should be soaring. Because even now, in the midst of your struggle, you are blessed. Spiritual. Every spiritual blessing, the word spiritual. In Christ, our blessings are not of this world. That's what the word signifies. The word signifies that, that it's not carnal, that it's, that it's heavenly. In fact, there's the whole phrase, in the heavenly places. Those two words together work to help us realize that God's not necessarily blessing us with earthly things. He can, but he doesn't have to. But he's definitely given you every spiritual blessing. These are non-carnal blessings. Down in verse 8, there's another adjective that, that, kind, of, that kind of emphasizes this, that, that these, are, these are lavished upon us, that these, that these spiritual blessings are, are given to us in, in such abundance that, that they're just lavished upon us. We're overwhelmed by them. We're bathed in them. See, in Christ, God blesses with riches according to his standard, not ours. That's what this whole spiritual idea is. See, there's, there's a difference between people who consider God's blessings physically and people who consider God's blessings spiritually. God has never promised you all that this world has to offer. But there's a prosperity gospel that's preached and proclaimed and very popular because people long for the things that this world has to offer. You see, the, the reality is, is that we want to denote or we want to value our blessing based on things like the square footage of our house, the bling on our fingers, or the, the, the uh, digits in our uh, annual income. Uh, we, we feel like we're blessed when things are going our way. We feel like things are, that, that we're blessed when we're healthy and wealthy. We feel like we're blessed when situations are good in accordance with our perspectives. But God has a different standard. You see, his blessings are eternal. 
They're not of this world. They will never fade, rot, or, or rust, or become less valuable. His blessings will never, will, will always be. They are eternal. They are lasting. They are, they are blessings that actually empower us and move us from one life to the next. I, for one, I'm glad that God blesses me in this way. I, I've come to realize, I'm, you know, I'm not as old as I could be, I guess, and not as old as some of you, but I am much older than others of you. And I've come to realize in, in my life that many of the things that I considered blessings early on were really just things I wanted and eventually became burdens that I had to carry that resulted in consequence that I had to deal with. God's blessings never become that. God's blessings are spiritual. They have spiritual, life-giving significance. Much different than what we can receive in this world. They're everlasting. The new will never wear off. They're not going to diminish into nothing. And their value will never decrease. Everything else in our life, everything that comes to us in this world, Up and down, up and down. One day we like it, the next day we hate it. These blessings are spiritual, and therefore they're eternal. Blessing, the, the, thir the third word, every spiritual blessing. Blessing, in Christ, God's good word washes over us. The word blessing is actually translated uh, in, in our language as eulogy. Now they put blessing here because... It would sound weird to say that we've been given his eulogy. You know, when you go to a funeral and you hear someone eulogize, you don't hear them defaming or tearing people down, right? Eulogy really means that you're spoken well of, that there's a good word said about you. Now, I, I think that's impressive or important because as we consider that God blesses us, who is speaking well of us, Paul's referring to the God who by his very word, spoke the world into existence. Let there be light. Let the, let the waters above and the waters below be separated. By His very word, He brought this creation into existence. By His living word, He provides for us salvation. Remember, Jesus is the word. By his living word, he provides salvation. He provides atonement. He provides forgiveness. And at his word, there will come a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. At his word, whether by fear or as an act of adoration and love, everyone will bow and recognize he is God. Worthy, alone worthy to be worshipped. The blessing in Christ, God's good word washes over us. It bathes us. It, 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 his pronouncements, his decrees, his decisions, his, his thoughts and intents for us wash over us. In Christ, God's promises, his words are made our realities. So here's the thing. When God says it, 
it becomes fact, undeniable truth, unarguable, un, 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 um, um, you can't, there's just nothing you can do with it. God says two plus two equals four. You know, we, we might have discovered that, but who determines it? God said that the earth revolves around the sun. We might have discovered it, but who determined it? God's the one that puts this all into order. God's the one that decrees how things will be. God's the one. And so when he, <clears throat> excuse me, when he makes a decision about you, there's nobody, there's nothing, there's no way that it can be undone. We sang a song just a minute ago about how we'll never be separated by, from his love. Because God has said, I love you. There is nothing in this world big enough, more powerful, or able to overcome it, to deny it, to take, to take it away. We, in Christ, God's promises are made our realities. Spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing, spiritual blessings are the root and source of our identity. See, it's not just about what it does for us. It's another piece of blessing that we have to deal with, that we have to understand. We think of blessings as the way they, they affect our circumstance. So my car not breaking down for a year might be what I consider to be a blessing. could be a blessing, but it doesn't have to be. God never said he'd keep my car from breaking down, did he? Uh, me having a place to live and the place that I live now and the work that I do now, that, that, they could be a blessing. But judging our blessings based on our circumstances, that's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. You see, blessings are not all about circumstances. The blessings of God actually change who you are. These blessings that he's promised us, that he's given us, that he makes ours, they don't just affect our circumstances. They're implications. They, they have implications for our circumstances but they don't affect our circumstances the way that we think of blessing. Spiritual blessings are the root and source of our, our identity. In our community group studies, we're, doing, we're using Mark Driscoll's book, um, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? It, it is a devotional exposition of the letter to the Ephesians. He, is, he, he takes it and he demonstrates through the letter how God changes us from one, from what we were to who we are in Christ. And, and Driscoll would say that because as you learn who you are, then you know how to act, that you know what to do. So once you know who you are, you know, how, you know how to live. And so the idea is, is that he wants to help Christians recognize their identity. Our identity comes as a, as a, as a result of God's blessings. It changes us from the inside out. And after verse 3, Paul gives us this thesis in verse 3, and he breaks out over the next 12 or 11 verses, he breaks out each of these blessings. Maybe not, maybe the list isn't exhaustive, but the list is pretty profound. See, in Christ, you are chosen to be holy and blameless. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are predestined for adoption. In Christ, you are redeemed and your sins are forgiven. In Christ, you are recipients of God's abounding grace. In Christ, you are given insight into God's eternal plan. In Christ, you, you have received an inheritance. In Christ, you are protected until what has been proclaimed to you and about you becomes a reality for you. In Christ, 
these things are true. In Christ, these are the blessings of God. The blessings that you can count on, the, the, the blessings that, that, that wash over us, the blessings that are of a spiritual nature that change us from the inside out, that make us who we are today. And we literally could spend a week on every one of these. We don't, we don't really have time for that. We need, to, we need to be able to move on. Let me just give you a short synopsis of some, and then I'll break into some of these others more deeply. In Christ, you're loved. That's not just an emotional love. Like when we talk about we love one another, like if you're sitting next to your spouse or, or, or a, a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or somebody that's really important to you, maybe even a father, or a, you may have looked at that person at some point in your life and said, I love you. I know it's weird for some of us, but there's some dudes in this room that we, we get together, our relationship is clo so close, and we can look one another in the eye and say, I love you. I know that for many people that's a weird thing when two guys begin doing stuff like that, but we love one another. It's just the reality of it. But this is not just emotional love. It's not just a, a love that can be proven by word or that just has to be said. This is a love that's proven in Christ. This is how we know what love is, 1 John 3, 16, because Christ laid down his life for us. This is God's sacrificial, active, serving love that works not for what you want, but for what's best for you. In Christ, God loved you this way. God loved you. You're significant and important to him. In Christ, here's another one I just want to go through quickly. In Christ, you are recipients of God's abounding grace. You heard me earlier. You heard it in the scripture. Grace is it, it, lavished upon us. His unmerited goodness. It's every good thing God does for us. And, 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 and the source of it is unending and it flows abundantly. His good work on your behalf. In Christ, you're given insight into God's eternal plan. You can actually begin to understand that God has something more for us. You can begin to grasp that God began this work before the foundation of the world. Will we fully understand it? Man, probably not. I mean, this is an eternal work made available for our finite eyes to see and our finite minds to grapple with. But we can begin to understand what God is doing. But here, here, listen, this is not, it's not just about him letting you in on it and, and letting you see it. He allows you to have a part in it. Do you, you remember the verse, in, I think it was around verse um, 13, no? Around verse 10 or 11. I don't, rem I don't memorize the numbers. you have to forgive me. But the reality is, right around there, he says that, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. As he wrote this letter to these Ephesians, that was, you know, it's him and those that have believed before. But as you and I sit here today and have opportunity to understand and proclaim or explain the mission of God, we become grouped in with those who have first hoped in Christ to the praise of his glory. Your life actually gets to take part and be a part of God finishing the work of his mission. You are blessed in Christ in that way. In Christ, you're protected until what has been proclaimed to you and about you becomes reality. Because God has done this work for you on your behalf, there is nothing not even yourself, 
that can overcome his sovereign power, his sovereign decree. You are safe. That's a blessing. No matter how bad I get, no matter how much I fail, no matter how dark the day seems, I'm safe. You're safe in Christ. So now, there's four, though, that I want to break out a little more deeply, a, a little more intentionally, because I think they're important, and they, they, they provide for us a foundation as we think about moving forward in Ephesians. And the first one, in Christ we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Before time began, God chose you. That's, that's a big concept. Before time began, before, before, you, uh, before he ever said, let there be light, before your parents ever decided decide to have a child, before the moment that, in, that, that you took your first breath, before anything happened that brought you into physical being, God chose you in Christ. That's probably one of the hardest ones for us to deal with. It's caused a lot of debate over the generations of the church. I mean, for, for really, there's been argument about it for about... 2,000 years, you know, since Jesus left, we've been discussing this one and dealing with it. But, but the thing is, is that I, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think the reason that we struggle with this one is because we feel like it impedes on our independence and our, um, our free will, our freedom to choose things. And, and so we struggle against this idea that, well, I chose God. Yes, maybe you did. But you chose God because God chose you. Well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Do you believe? Yeah. Well, you've been chosen. Well, how do I know if I'm not chosen? If you die and you've never believed, you've not been chosen. I, I, I don't, it, it just works like that, and there's, it almost becomes circular logic, and we struggle against it, and we, we, we fight, and we think, oh, I've got to choose him. I've got to choose him, and I think there's a point that, yes, you need to believe. The Scriptures tell us that. But rest in this. Rest in this. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. That's important. Before the foundation of the world, before time began, before the clock started ticking, he knew you. And he said, you are mine. God's blessing, his word, his eulogy about you is you are mine. There is no one else that can make things holy unto God. No one can make things holy unto you. We make things holy unto ourselves. We can't make ourselves holy unto anyone else. Think, think about it in these terms. On a playground, two, two team captains choosing teams, right? Here they are. They're, oh, I want Johnny. I want, I don't know, Jeffrey. And they go through, and, they, and as they're choosing, they are making these, these players, they're making them holy unto themselves. They're selecting them for their purpose, for their, for their reason. They're saying, you are mine. God did that for you. But it's not just about him choosing you and, and saying, you are mine. He says, you're blameless. That means you're innocent. You've never done anything wrong. How many of you feel blameless? Probably not very many of us. Not, not at least we're going to admit here, right? I mean, we know better. Here's the thing is, is you, can, you can break a law and you can lie about it, but that doesn't make you innocent, does it? In fact, it just makes you guiltier. More guilty, guiltier. You be the judge. It just makes you worse off because now you're adding lies to the law you broke. 
Hey, you know what? If somebody else comes to you and says, you know, I, you're not guilty. That's not that big a deal. And then sweep it under the rug. That doesn't change the fact that you're a lawbreaker. Doesn't cha- it doesn't change the fact that, that, that you are, uh, that you have broken the law. It, it just doesn't change that. Just because we decide to ignore it or overlook it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But when God chose you, he chose you to be his. He chose you to be innocent. That means sitting here in all of your failings, in all of your sin, and don't, don't play like you don't have it. You're innocent. Because only God is big enough to take what his son was and put it on us and take what we are and put it on his son. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. You see, <clears throat> again, of all his blessings, I think this is the one we struggle with the most. But in Christ, God says you are worthy and he chooses you for his eternal victory. He looks at you, and, and, and you know what's wrong. You know your failings. You know where you're weak. You know your struggles. You know. You know in the depths of your heart what's wrong. But he says, you're, you're, you're mine. You're holy, and you're blameless. In Christ, you are predestined for adoption. This is the second one I want to spend some time on. In Christ, you are predestined for adoption. God's choosing you extends beyond just making you a part of his team. Okay? It's not just about getting on the right team. He is making you his family. The Father, in John 17, when Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, in Matthew, when he goes off to be by himself and he prays to his Father, that Father that he prayed to is now your Father in Christ. Jesus is your elder brother. Now take a second. I know you like looking at me, but take a second and just look around the room. I know, it's weird. You might make eye contact with somebody. Do it. It's important. The people sitting around you that are in Christ are your brothers and sisters. You see, he's made us family. In Christ, his blood is thicker than water. His blood is thicker than our blood. His blood, in his blood, we are made family. See the significance of this? Now, get this. He's not saying, hey, this is for men or ladies that you're going to all of a sudden act like, smell like, look like men. We are predestined for adoption as sons. The, the, the importance of that word in the Greco-Roman world was huge. Because as Paul wrote this to all the saints in Ephesus, those who were faithful in Christ, he wasn't just writing to men, he was writing to women as well. And this applies to men and women alike. But the reality is this, Paul used this word because in the Greco-Roman world, no one but sons, no one but men were allowed to enjoy the inheritance So ladies, in Christ, you are brought onto equal standing. You are given equal footing. You and your brothers in Christ enjoy the benefits of being a part of his family. You are his child. You are his son in those terms. Don't miss this. In 
Christ, you have been adopted. Now, I, just to think about adoption for just a minute, uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing, really. I, we've got friends in the church, Chris and Genesis, Estes. I asked permission last week, so I didn't ask permission this week. I hope you're okay with me sharing the story. They're not the only ones. Greg and Jen Seitz are also working through adop adoption. But as, as Chris and Genesis have completed their process, they, they, they thought about this. They decided they wanted to adopt a child. Now, it's different in their case because they didn't get to go and pick Judah personally. I think you were kind of assigned Judah in a way. But knowing Judah, they wouldn't have chosen anyone else. Here's the reality. They chose to adopt. They weren't forced to. They wanted to. They longed to. They wanted to share their love. They wanted to bless. They wanted to encourage. They wanted to raise up in, 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 a, in a right uh, standing. They wanted this child. Just like God wants you in Christ as his child. Now that, law, that, that road to adoption was long and hard. They had to wait. I mean, certainly as, as mothers who give birth, you have to wait. And you have labor pains that... I, I don't want to experience. I'm just going to be real. I thought about being a little more gracious than that, but I don't want them. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for you. And I pray for you. Trust me. But their labor pain looked a little different. Their labor pain was drawn out over many, many months. A couple of years, actually. But before they, before they even got to bring Judah home, he'd already turned one. They were praying for Judah. They'd never seen Judah. They never knew Judah. And all of a sudden, as they become to, come to know who Judah is, they are loving him before they've ever met him. And then they go to a land that's not their own to meet a child that has no connection biologically to them and says, you are mine. That's exactly what God has done for you. He adopted you. He called you his child. He made you his own. And if you ask them, it was no cheap venture either. I don't know what the final cost was. But God's cost to adopt us is the very precious blood of his only begotten son. That's how much he wanted you. In Christ, you have been predestined for adoption. The day that he came to you and you believed, he knew that moment would happen. He knew the moment would come where you would look to him and honor him and call him father. And he did that work for you before the foundation of the world. In Christ you are blessed. Praise God. You are blessed. In Christ in Christ you are redeemed and your sins are forgiven. Redeemed, the word really means ransomed. If you remember years and years ago, Mel Gibson's movie, Ransom, you know, I mean, it's a good illustration. His son was, was kidnapped and he has to pay this huge amount of money to get his son back. The money is the ransom. The money is the price to redeem his son, to bring his son out of captivity. In him, 
We have redemption through his blood. We don't think of it in these terms often, but you and I were slaves to our sin. That's why, man, honestly, if you'd rather have your independence and your, and your free will than his redemption, man, good on you. I, I hope the best for you. But I'd rather rest in his providential work of choosing me and bringing me to this point where he decided he was going to pay for me to get out of slavery. Have you ever known a slave? Man, I haven't. But I bet they recognize they are powerless to do anything about their situation. God came in and ransomed. He redeemed. He brought us out of captivity. And he forgave us. Here's the thing about forgiveness. This, this blood, the shedding of blood, maybe it seems like, you know, did it really have to happen? Did, did he have to pay? Was the price so high? Were we so bad that he had to do such a big work? Short answer, yes. Worst of the worst. Paul, who we would have considered a righteous man, was the chief of sinners in his own eyes. Yes, we're that bad. But God forgave. And forgiveness deals with reconciling. It deals with a, a, a relationship restored. It, it deals with the, the part of the relationship when someone is wronged. Rather than acting and reacting in wrath, I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm to withhold that. I'm going I'm to take the hurt and the offense and I'm going to hold it. And when I, when I react, it's going to be for your good. That costs. Genesis tells us that our sin grieved God. So much so that he regretted making man. So bad it is. And yet, he accepted that. And in Christ, in Christ, believer, this is the closest you will ever come to knowing his wrath. Because you stand forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. Your sins, your trespasses, they are not counted against you. In Christ, we are now as close to God's wrath as we will ever be. The trouble, the struggle, the, the pressure, life seeming overwhelming, at some point that comes to an end. In Christ, you have obtained an inheritance. When we think of inheritance in our context, it's often most given in consideration of terms of cash value. Not all inheritances are necessarily big. I recently was given a peace pipe in, as an inheritance from my grandmother who recently passed away, a peace pipe. And it's probably, I don't know that it's worth anything. She always had it, and I've, I get to keep it. And that's one of the things that I have to remember her by. So, but in Christ... Our inheritance is priceless. You can't take it to the Antiques Roadshow and see how much money you could get for it or what you need to insure it for. There's nothing in this world that can give us an understanding of the value. And but the biblical writers, the Bible writers, those, those who were writing and teaching the church, they, they struggled with ways to, or to proclaim it. 
They worked at different ways to say it. Peter wrote in his letter, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to an inheritance that is imperishable. There's no date of expiration. It's not like the milk in your refrigerator. Undefiled. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no darkness. There is nothing in it that is other than God's goodness and unfading. It's not like the stocks on the stock market that are up and down and you just never know where they're going to go. This will never be less valuable. It's not like the paint on your car that one day is going to be chipped and ugly and you're going to wish you had a new car. This will always be wonderful and new. And it's kept in heaven for you. Then he goes on and he says, speaking of this inheritance, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, if you've come to a place where you recognize God as your father, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. As you're here on this earth waiting for the moment that, that God makes all things new, he brings things to an end and, and, and brings it all together, as you're waiting for that, live in accordance with that, knowing that you are ransomed. You hear that? Ransomed, redeemed. From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We get one thing. We get an inheritance from our forefathers for sure. These Jews that he was writing to, pertaining particularly to the Jews that he was writing to, and the pagans, they, they inherited junk. They inherited this, this stuff that, that was, that was um, leading them to destruction. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You were ransomed, not with silver and gold. Silver and gold are our standards, right? I mean, that's what the value of things is based on. But you weren't ransomed with that, but with the precious blood of Christ. In Christ, in Christ, our inheritance is priceless. There is nothing worth as much. And finally, in Christ, our inheritance is eternal life in his presence. There's going to come a day when the struggles that you feel, the, the days that you feel like you're not blessed are going to end. And his blessings are going to be realized. These blessings that we've talked about today, these blessings will be realized as you step into life. This, this isn't life. Oh, yeah, we're living and we're breathing creatures, but life is lived in the presence of God. And I don't think there's a passage that speaks to this more clearly than Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, that's God speaking, Jesus speaking. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. In Christ, you 
are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Praise God for it. Now, just a little bit of application to close it out. If you're here today and you're a believer and you're in the midst of this, this, this wearisome struggle and the, and the burden that comes with the consequences of sin and you're not recognizing your blessing, memorize these words. Hold them close. You are blessed. And if you can't see God's blessing, then begin to measure how you are expecting him to bless you. He's already done it. Own it. Live it. This, this, this is him at work in you, for you. It's beautiful. Maybe there's somebody sitting in this room today that's never believed in Christ. You've never, you, 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 maybe you've heard the gospel, maybe you've heard the word of truth, but you have never believed in him. I want to I want to give you a word of warning. For the Christian, for the one in Christ, this may be the closest to his wrath we will ever come. But for those outside of Christ, for those who don't believe in Christ, this is the closest to his blessing you will ever be. You can experience physical blessing. In fact, Jesus teaches us that God shines, that God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the just, and God causes it to rain on the evil and the just. So you may experience this physical blessing, and, and you may sit in a room like this and sense the joy of the believers around you, and you, you may feel some benefit and blessing from that, but you'll never realize the eternal state of these spiritual blessings until you have trusted him. If you're here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, please do not miss this opportunity to hear that in Christ your sins can be forgiven, your name, you can be called his child. You can be adopted. You can be one of those chosen to be a part of the work that God is doing. You can experience every spiritual blessing in Christ as you believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you're good, you're glorious and gracious, and we are blessed to know you. We are so, God, I, I know, I, I speak for myself as I pray this prayer. My heart is full and so honored, God, that you saw me with this kind of value, with, with, that you bestowed on me these gifts, these blessings. God, would you remind every believer in the room? Would you, Holy Spirit, rest on us, immerse us in your presence that as we walk from here today, that as we walk into the world, that we walk recognizing that we have been blessed. Father, pray for them. I ask you, God, just do your work on our behalf. Father, I, I pray for those that may not believe. 
that, that may be here that don't believe. Spirit, would you open their eyes? Would you bring them to life? It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.